Well, hello everyone. It is such a joy to be with you today. My name is Juan Carlos Heredia, and I have the honor of serving as one of the pastors here at Sugar Creek Baptist Church. And I want to thank our lead pastor, Dr. Mark Hartman, for the opportunity to share with you today. I also want to welcome our Missouri City and Richmond-Rosenberg campuses. Guys, we are so proud of you because you are rocking it out there. And we also want to welcome all of our online viewers from wherever in the world you're watching us today. So in the basketball world, one of the most famous players who ever played is a guy named Pistol Pete Maravich. And Pistol Pete Maravich, who was a guard that played with LSU back in the 60s, just had an uncanny ability with the ball. He was a magician on the court and wowed crowds with his incredible um, ability with the, with the ball. And Pistol Pete uh, had this incredible way of passing. He had the staple behind the back pass and over the shoulder pass and the no look pass at a time where very few professional basketball players can pull, would be able to pull this off. But in addition, it wasn't only his passing ability. It was his scoring ability as well. He had the ability to score at will. In fact, despite him playing in the 60s, he still holds the record for NCAA Division I collegiate basketball players with an average of 43 points per game. That's 400 points more than the next player who's in second place. And what even makes it more incredible is that he did that before the shot clock and the three-point line was introduced into basketball. But it wasn't only his amazing collegiate career, but also when he went into the NBA. Uh, he had an incredible career as well, and he was selected as a five-time All-Star. And after he retired, he was chosen among the 50 greatest players of all time. Now, after Pistol Pete retired, he continued to play exhibition games and wowed crowds with his uh, street-style basketball. And on one occasion, he was playing a pickup game with a group of his friends when all of a sudden, unexpectedly, he collapsed on the court and died of a heart attack. He was barely 40 years old, barely retired from uh, his professional career. And in the autopsy, it was revealed that the reason why this had occurred is that he had an undetected congenital heart defect. See, the problem with heart issues is that you don't always know that you have it until it's too late. And in fact, um, sometimes you can have the symptoms and they don't always point back to a problem with your heart. I don't know if you know this, but the number one reason for deaths in not only the United States, but the world is heart-related issues. Now, in the spiritual world, the same can be said. Our heart is the reason why we struggle in life. Every issue that we face in life goes back and points back to our heart. So that's why the heart is so important. And even though psychologists and those that study human behavior have barely uh, stumbled across this great truth about the connection between our heart and our life, God had already revealed this in scripture thousands of years ago. In fact, 
in scripture, we find this incredible principle, and it's this. Every one of us has heart issues. Every one of us has heart issues. And that means that it doesn't matter how educated you are, it doesn't matter how smart you are, it doesn't matter how gifted you are, or it doesn't matter how good you think you are of a person, it doesn't even matter how long you have been a Christ follower, every one of us has heart issues. And the reason why this should be concerning to us in the end is because our heart is our true self. Our heart is our true self. So in the Hebrew culture, they had a deeper understanding of the heart. The way that they saw it was that the heart was a combination of the inner person along with the mind and along with the will. Now, in our days, we don't, and in our culture, we don't necessarily have that same view, although we understand that the heart is an important part of who we are. And it's actually reflected even in our language. For example, when you wanna express your love for someone, you don't say, I love you with all of my brain, right? We don't, we don't say that. We don't also, after maybe a difficult breakup, do we say, you broke my stomach. We don't, we don't say that. Unless maybe we're at a buffet, then it would make sense. We also don't pledge allegiance to the flag by placing our hand over our liver. We all know uh, intuitively that the heart is an important part of who we are. And the reason why we understand this is because in reality, our heart is our true self. But there's another truth that we need to understand about our heart, and it's this, that our life is a reflection of our heart. Our life is a reflection of our heart, which means this, that um, whatever is in our heart will manifest itself, will find a way of surfacing in the way that we live. Now, this is not just my opinion. King Solomon, who was considered to be the wisest man who lived before Jesus, he wrote a book that is contained in the Bible that we call Proverbs. And in the book of Proverbs, it is a collection of wise sayings. And on at least 25 occasions, Solomon refers to the heart because he understands how important this is for our lives. And in one of those Proverbs, in Proverbs 27, 19, he has this thing to say about our heart. He says this, as water reflects the face, so the heart reflects the person. So there's a lot of things that we can take from what uh, Solomon says here. Solomon, uh, Solomon says that, um, that our heart is a reflection of who we are. It's a reflection of the life that we live. And the problem that all of us have is that we have a tendency to somehow um, ignore whatever is going on in our life. 
We have a way of trying to suppress the things that go on in our heart, but it, it comes back and it's reflected in the decisions that we make, in the, in the choices that we make in our life. It's a reflection in even the way that we look at, at God. And even though I jumped over um, a, a verse that I should have mentioned a little while ago, this goes hand in hand with something that the prophet Jeremiah, who lived 600 years before Jesus, said a fascinating observation about our heart, and it's this. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now, Jeremiah, along with Solomon, are making these interesting observations about our heart. One thing that Jeremiah notes is that our heart is deceitful, which means that our heart is untrustworthy. And we know this out of our own experience because at one time or another, we've made decisions at the time thinking they were good decisions only to discover later on in our life that they were bad decisions. And the question is why? Why does this happen to us? The reason is because our heart has a way of deceiving us. And also, going back to what Jeremiah says, he says that it is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Which is another way of simply saying that our heart is uncurably, incurably sick. Now, for those of us who are followers of Christ, we understand that the main issue with our heart is that it's been affected by sin. Every human heart has been affected, has been inflicted by sin. And everything that sin touches, it destroys. And the problem then is that our heart has sin, but Jeremiah is actually referencing something even deeper. And it's this, that our heart has a tendency to acquire wounds and hurts over time. The life experiences that we have, the way that we were brought up, the relationships that we have. All of these things over time hurt us and create wounds in our heart that continue as time goes by. And so, if our life is a reflection of our heart and we simply deal with our heart issues by trying to suppress it, the reality is this, that all of us become a prisoner of our heart issues when we don't pay attention to them. In fact, maybe today, that is what you're saying in your mind. You can, you can be saying, Juan Carlos, you know, that's, this is interesting, this is good stuff, maybe it's for someone else who's weaker, but I've been able to overcome my wounds and my hurts because yes, all of us acquire this over life. But the reality is that I've been successful and I've, I've been able to make headway with, with my goals and my dreams in life, but here is where I would push back. And it's, and it's in regards to this. The reality is that when we don't deal with our heart issues, with those wounds, with those hurts that we acquire over time, what tends to happen is that we become a prisoner of those things. And it manifests, it surfaces in our life in one way or another. So let me, let me illustrate it. Suppose that one day you're out on a hike it's a beautiful day, you're in the woods, and you can hear the sound of rushing water. And so you decide you're gonna go explore that, that stream. And as you get to that creek, you discover, to your horror, this site right here. That it is full of garbage, it's full of trash. 
And being the good person that you are, you obviously decide that you just can't leave that creek the way that it is. So you start picking up the trash. You stoop down and you, and you pick up as much trash as possible. And after several hours, you realize that this is something more. You're going to need more time than just a few hours. And so you decide you're going to come back the next day. Well, when you come back the next day, you discover that that creek that you had cleaned up is actually, actually has more trash now than the day before. And you're asking yourself, well, what is going on here? Did someone come last night and just poured more trash over here? And so you decide that you're going to trek up the creek you're gonna go upstream to see what is the possible answer. And after you go up maybe two or three miles, you get to the top of the creek and you discover what is the reason why there is so much trash in the creek. And this is what you see at the top of the creek, a garbage dump. See, it doesn't matter how much time you spend cleaning the creek downstream, Unless you address the source, which is the garbage dump, at the top of the creek, it will never be clean. In the same way, our heart and our life operate. Because a lot of us, we tend to um, simply try to change our outside behavior. What we try to do is modify the way we conduct ourselves, thinking that that is the solution. But the reality is that when you're honest, you realize that it doesn't matter how much you try to change, in the end, you become the same person. And the reason is because unless you deal with the source of the garbage in your life, the wounds, the hurt, and the sin, which is in your heart, it doesn't matter what you do on the outside. So then, if that's the case, then our life, like scripture says, is a reflection of our heart. But there's another important um, truth that we need to understand, and it's this, that our heart issues become our life lenses. Over time, our heart issues become our life lenses. That is, that the longer you allow the hurts and the wounds to remain in your heart, the longer, uh, the, the deeper they will become and the harder they will be to treat in your life. We have the saying uh, where uh, time cures all wounds, but that is not true. In reality, time makes every wound deeper in our lives. And so we know this in our, in our own lives because in our practical sense, when it comes to our heart issues, they become the life lenses by which we look at life. And so uh, inside of us, inside of each one of us, when that garbage accumulates, then the problem is that it is the distorted view that we start looking at life, our relationships, and even the way that we see God. In fact, I came across recently someone saying this, that even though years have gone by, I have been unable to remove the face of my abusive father from the face of God. See, for you, it might be something different. For you, it could be a situation where you were, you were brought up in a dysfunctional home, or maybe you didn't even have your parents to raise you. For others, 
It's the pain of having gone through sexual abuse. For others, it's that voice that keeps on ringing in your head that tells you that you would never amount to anything. And for others, it was that toxic relationship that you went through. Maybe it was a marriage or a divorce that still marks you to this day. Whatever it is in our life, the reality is that those wounds in our life, when we don't deal with them, they become the lenses, the distorted and broken lenses by which we see the entirety of life. But it's not only that. There's another truth that we need to understand, and, and we know this from our own personal experience, and it's this, that unresolved heart issues are perpetuated in those around us. Unresolved heart issues are perpetuated in those around us. Now, how do we know this? Because at one time or another, you and I criticized our parents for the things that they did or the things that they used to say, only to find ourselves at one point in our life repeating the same things they did and the same things that they said. In fact, I came across this meme that really captures this truth, and it's this. You realize you're adulting when you start repeating what your parents used to say about you. And this is a truth that we all go through. By the way, young people here, don't think for a minute that you are immune from repeating the same things that your parents did and that they say. It's just the law of life. And the reason is because we underestimate how much influence our parents have over us, but we also underestimate the influence that we have over our children and over our grandchildren and over the next generations. So maybe an incentive for you to deal with your heart issues is this, that it's not only about you, but it's about those that are around you. And this takes us to the central truth of everything that I'm sharing today. If there's something that you need to take with you, it is this truth. And it, it is that the heart of the matter, the heart of the matter is to surrender to God the matter of your heart. The heart of the matter is to surrender to God the matter of your heart. Today can be the decision that you can make, that you can finally take to deal with the heart issues that you have instead of ignoring them, instead of burying them, allowing God to deal with your heart issues. And that obviously takes us to the next question, and it's this. How do you surrender to God your heart issues? How do you surrender to God your heart issues? Because the reality is that maybe at one point or another, you tried to do it. You tried different things only to revert to the same things that you've always, the things that you've always struggled with. And so the question then becomes, how do we do this? And in my remaining minutes, what I want to do is I want to share a story with you of someone that actually modeled for us principles that we can put in practice in our own lives because he lived a life of consistency even though he went through trials, tribulations, pain, suffering, and also an ever-changing story. And yet he was steadfast in his heart towards God. And that person is the prophet Daniel. 
So before I go into the story, let me give you a little bit of context of what was happening. In the year 605, before Jesus was born, King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonians, took his army and sieged the city of Jerusalem and the temple. They plundered everything that was in that, in that city. Now the Assyrians, who the Babylonians had conquered, the Assyrians had decimated the northern part of Israel a little over a hundred years prior to this. And now the Babylonians were going to do the same thing with the southern part of Israel. And so in this process, the Babylonians had the custom of taking the majority of the population of their conquered foes and exiling them back to Babylon, where they would, they would take them through this rigorous brainwashing in order for them to go back and influence their people, and that way make sure that those people never revolted against the Babylonians. And among them, among these people, is Daniel and his three friends. And Daniel and his three friends were actually descendants of the royal line of David. And this is where the story picks up. Look at what it says in Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 to 7. It says this, the king ordered Ashpenaz, that is, King Nebuchadnezzar ordered Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, good-looking, suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, and capable of serving in the king's palace. That is, that he was to take the best of the best, and Daniel and his friends were among them. And he was to teach them the Chaldean language and literature. The king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. They were to be trained for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to attend the king. Among them, from the Judaites, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief eunuch gave them names. He gave them the name Belteshazzar to Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Meshach to Mishael, and Abednego to Azariah. Now, one thing that we need to take into consideration is this, that at the time that this happened, Daniel was only about 14 or 15 years of age. He was barely a teenager. And now, both Daniel and, and his three friends were being thrusted into this indoctrination program where they were gonna use his education, they were gonna use the language, they were gonna use the food that he ate, and even change his names from God-honoring names to pagan God-honoring names, all in the name of indoctrinating them so that they would become faithful Babylonians. And as soon as this happens, Daniel has to decide about what he's gonna do. But this is one of the things that I don't find either in the book of Daniel um, or, or throughout his life or in, in the life of his friends, and it's this. Nowhere do we find Daniel complaining about the lack of faithfulness from God. God could have prevented this. God could have intervened. 
But now Daniel and his friends, they were separated from his parents and from his culture and from his land and from the people. Who knows if he ever got to see his parents again. And now he's in this pagan culture, he's immersed in this pagan culture, and he had so many reasons to be angry at God, to be bitter at God, to blame God about everything that happened, and in doing so, excuse his behavior in regards to compromising just like all of the rest of the Jewish boys were doing. But we never find that in the life of Daniel. We don't find it in his friends. And this is the first principle that Daniel models for you and for me, and it's this. Get rid of your excuses. The first way that we deal with our heart issues is that you need to get rid of your excuses. The reality is that all of us have the tendency to want to excuse or justify our behavior. And so we say things such as, I was raised this way, or it's this other person's fault. Or we say things like, well, I'm behaving this way because I've been under a lot of stress. Or we say things such as, well, I just don't simply suffer fools. Or we say, I'm too old to change, or I'm too young to change. And we even get to the point of saying, if I change jobs, if I divorce my spouse, if I move somewhere else, I know that I'll be able to fix everything that is wrong in my life. But in reality, when we're honest, we are simply using an excuse to justify the heart issues that we are battling with in our life. And Daniel modeled for us that the first thing that we need to do is get rid of our excuses. But there's a second thing that Daniel does, and it's this. What you and I need to do is this. Determine to keep your heart clean. Determine to keep your heart clean. And this is probably the pivotal verse in this entire book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter one, verse eight. Look at what it says in, in the beginning of this verse. Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. And the question is, why? Why was Daniel so radical when it came to simply dietary foods? Was he not a foodie? What was the issue with, with Daniel? And the reason is twofold. Number one, Daniel understood that he needed to obey the Levitical dietary laws that God had given the people of Israel in the Old Testament. And he wanted to be faithful to that. But there's a second reason, I think it's even a deeper reason, and it's this. That the Babylonians had the custom of presenting and, and um, just sacrificing all of their meat and their wine to their pagan gods. So to participate of this food was to participate in worship of these pagan gods. And Daniel understood that if he compromised with something as small as food at this point in his life, then he would be on a slippery slope to compromise bigger things down the road. The same thing happens to us. We need to make the determination to keep our heart clean as well. Maybe for you, you've allowed your heart to be contaminated 
by anger or by bitterness or by greed or by lust or whatever the case is. But the great news is that today you can make the determination for God to clean your heart and to help you so that you can deal with your heart issues. Now, there's there's a third thing that Daniel models for us in regards to dealing with our own heart issues, and it's this. Seek help from God and others. The next step that you need to take in your life is seek help from God and others. Now, I have to confess, my favorite character in the Old Testament is Daniel. But as impressive as his life is, the reality is that what he was able to accomplish was a reflection of what God was doing in his life, not the greatness of Daniel. Daniel was a model for us of surrendering and depending on God, even in a situation just like this where his life was at risk. And this would not be the only occasion because we would see later in his life as he's in the lion's den that he would still be committed to putting God first, even at the risk of losing his life. So in order to deal with our heart issues, it's God that has to do it. But there's something else. We need the help of other people because the reality is that Daniel didn't do this by himself. He had three friends that were unwavering in their commitment to support each other. So listen to what it says now in verse 11 through 15. So Daniel said to the guard whom the chief eunuch had assigned to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test, not me, Test your servants, all of us, for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then examine our appearance and the appearance of the young men who are eating the king's food and deal with your servants based on what you see. He agreed with them about this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, they looked better and healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. Daniel depended on God. He tested God and God proved himself to be faithful about the issues that he was facing. The same can be said about you. Whatever you're dealing with in your heart, whatever issue you have, whatever wound, whatever hurt, or whatever sin is in your heart, you can present it to God and God who loves you and his desire is to make you more like his son, Jesus Christ, is willing to bring help and change in your life. But it's not only that there's another decision that has to be made. And that is that you cannot deal with your heart issues alone. You need the help of other people. Just like Daniel had the support of his friends, you and I, we need support of other people as well. And so for some of you, what this means is that it's time for you to go and maybe talk to a pastor. For others, it means that you need professional counseling. For others, it's time for you to surround yourself with godly friends that would support you as well. And for others, it's finally the moment to make the decision to be part of one of our connect groups because the reality is that we cannot deal with our heart issues alone. One more principle and I'll be finished. The last principle that Daniel models for us is this. Guard your heart. Guard your heart continually. Guard your heart 
continually. So for this, we go back to the wisdom of King Solomon. And in a verse that we should memorize in our lives, in Proverbs 4, 23, King Solomon says this, watch over your heart with diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Now there's several things that we can unpack from this verse. To watch over, for example, here, simply means to not allow something to get away and to be protected, to be safe from attack. Also, you can notice that the verb here is a continuous action, which means that this is a lifelong monitoring of our heart. Because the reality is this, that you can deal with your heart issues today, but because of the life experiences you will have tomorrow, you will acquire new heart issues, hurts, injuries, and sin in your life. So the way you deal with this is by constantly asking, probing and honest questions about the condition of your heart. And with all diligence means above everything else. To take care of our heart because it is our true self. And what's amazing to me is that we are willing to spend so much money in buying a safe or a lockbox or even expensive security systems to protect, protect things that we think are important. But when it comes to our hearts, we neglect it. So Daniel modeled for us what was a continuous protecting and guarding of the heart. That is the reason why after this, for the next 70 years, Daniel would be steadfast in his commitment to God. And I believe that all of that took place when this pivotal decision in his life took place to commit his heart to God, but it was a continuous renewal that happened in the life of Daniel. And if that happened in the life of Daniel, we need it as well. Because in the end, the heart of the matter is to surrender to God the matter of your heart. What would your life look like if you made that decision today? What would it look like if you finally allowed God to deal with your heart issues? Those that are around you, maybe have even been praying for that moment to come. Let us pray. So Heavenly Father, thank you because you love us so much that you desire to deal with our heart issues. Forgive us because we are, we are weak and the reality is that we are prone to being hurt and wounded and our heart being infected in a way that it affects not only our lives but the lives of those that are around us. But thank you because you have the power to change us and we wanna be willing to commit ourselves continually to guarding our hearts so that you can deal with it. We love you and we thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.